This is Pitch Deck Asia. We are in the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Jimmy Co, co-founder of Freelaw. Jimmy, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Good to have you here. One half of a twin founding team. Yeah. Your brother Jackie. Yeah. The younger twin. Yeah. Identical right. twins. Um. Yeah, we are identical. Identical twins. We're going to talk a bit about your team in a minute. Never had twins on the show, or at least one half of twins. And as we were saying, there aren't many twin co-founding teams, so you're unique. So yeah. thank you so much for being the first twin <laughs> co-founding team thank on the you. show. We're going to talk about free law. We're going to talk about your journey okay, and what it is that you're doing and plans for the future. A little bit of background. You're Singaporean, from Singapore. Yeah, uh, true-born Singaporean. What yep. were you doing before you started free law? Um, previously, uh, me and my twin brother, basically, um, we actually run a web design and development company. Uh -huh. So that was previous. But uh, after that, we decided, you know, we need a change of direction somewhere. I mean, that business is not sustainable. So we want to build something that is much bigger and which, which can actually benefit more people. Was that the Affinity Group? Yeah. Okay. Were you doing that for eight years? Yeah. Well, you're still doing it now. You still have that business running. Um, currently, it's, it's like more or less stagnant. I've cut right. down a lot. I'm doing like full time on free law. Okay. Yeah. Good. So you were doing that with your brother. We've got a. Let's. Why don't we flash that up? We'll get the uh, the team. Pit. There we go. They're right right at the top. So there yeah. you go. There, there are the two gentlemen, Jimmy and Jackie, CEO and CTO. So you have been in business together. Let me just work this out. Ten years. Yes. And you went to the same course together. At yeah. Same course. Poly. Same school. Yeah. Right. So you know each other pretty well. Um, in fact, very well, I yeah. would say. Yeah. So how do, how does that work in a working relationship? Because some people say, "Oh, you should never do business with your family." Um, I think for us, um, more or less, we kind of complement each other. Hmm. So, um, for example, like I'm more of a design person, so I'm on the user interface UI. So, um, which is for Jackie Wise is uh, focused on the development area. So, yeah. so we kind of like, I built this, you know, I designed this and then he just built it for me. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so you come up with the ideas and he actually puts it into reality. Yes. Practice, yes. Right? So how is it that you get to sit here today and do the, the interview? Well, um, Jackie, what, are, you, are you sort of the front face of the business? Yeah, uh, sort of. I'm, I'm like the front face because like, uh, I think um, for all of our founders, mm -hmm. um, basically co-founders, we, we actually distribute our roles quite evenly. So I'm more of like um, the one that is pitching and um, doing talks and meeting investors. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that team. We're going to jump back into the pitch deck in a minute. And maybe we should start the journey with free law itself. Put it on the table. What is free law? Okay, generally for free law, um, basically free law is a unified cash rewards platform. Mm -hmm. So um, we have an app base, we also have a web, but our focus is actually on uh, helping consumers gain more savings on their daily purchases. And of course, um, we wanted to build it unified in a way that it can scale um, even overseas as well. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, let's jump back in. If we can have a look at the, the pitch deck. It's nothing new in itself, like rewards programs, but the way you approach it, it has a unique angle. Let's talk about what the problem is that you're solving, the pain point. Why, why do we need free law, Jimmy? <laughs> okay, in fact, um, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a common question. I mean, there's, there's currently, um, I would say, a lot of different rewards programs on the market. I mean, there's merchant uh, own loyalty rewards. There's also um, credit card rewards and stuff. Mm. But uh, a, lot of point, a lot of times, you know, all these kind of rewards, they kind of come in um, a bit confusing for users because a lot of them, they're actually using like a point systems. And uh, points, we do understand it gets uh, 
uh, expiry, you know, sometimes, mm. you know, like even for a user, you won't even know how much points you have right now and what you can actually use for. So basically what we set out to do was to actually solve this issue, you know, keep it as simple as possible. Um, but by using this rewards program, um, we are also looking at helping retailers, which is specifically the offline area, um, for them to actually generate revenue by running a more effective rewards campaign. Right. Yeah. Why are rewards programs ineffective or inefficient in that sense? It seems that, you know, they, they as a user myself, mm. there must be a lot of unclaimed tokens and miles and points out there. Yeah, in fact, like, um, I mean, based on studies, 100%, only about 23% would utilize the points. So like 70 over percent, it was actually not used, so right. they don't even know that it exists. You know, like for me, I have um quite a number of rewards program. You know, I go everywhere, I buy something, you know, you don't join membership. Yeah, okay, sure, I join it. But end of the day, you know, what are the chances of me actually using it for the second time? You know, mm. I, it's it's hard in a way for users. But c couldn't you argue that that's in the benefit of the merchant? Because if they can get people on board, it's like a it's a gym, isn't it? The idea of like a gym, for yeah. example, you know, you can get oh, come on along and you know pay for a monthly membership, and then they stop using it. In some, if, if you were uh, you know unscrupulous as a gym owner, you'd say that's great because now I have all these memberships and people aren't using it, so that's great. Yeah. What's the problem with that? Yeah, um, in fact, for for merchants, I would say you know if let's say they they have this idea you know of having a rewards program basically to I, I think generally what they want is an increase in their business sales mm. so I mean if let's say I want to run a rewards program that is specifically um, just to target users to use it but then I don't want to give them that rewards in return then it, it doesn't really work effectively I mean on the market um, I'm not sure about businesses but most of the merchants that we deal with they, they are very sincere in, in having a certain rewards campaign mm. that that um, is being done um, to actually attract that sales. But mm. a lot of times, um, they do not have the expertise. They don't have that team to build um, that platform for them. And they don't even have that people to actually manage it for them. Okay. Yeah. Let's go back to the pitch deck. What is the hypothesis, so to speak? What's your idea about how you're going to do it differently? So all these reward systems and programs exist out yes. there. And your your theory is that they're not very efficient yeah. that, that you know 23 percent of them are getting or 23 percent of consumers are utilizing them to yes. the full so th there's three quarters which aren't right yes so what is your idea about how to do this differently so so the general idea would be um why consumers are not using or specifically underutilized is because um what is uh what we're seeing is that uh, users they generally um, they, they can't really relate and take control of that points. Mm. So basically what we want to do is that we want them to be in control of all the cash rewards that they earn. Um, that's one main reason why we actually allow them to cash out mm. as, a, as real cash. So that's one thing. And the other one um, would be whatever cash rewards that they earn, they can actually spend it at anywhere that they want. Right. So there's no restrictions, there's no limitations, there's no expiry. So in that system, do you actually have to buy the tokens from the the user in, in, when they're cashing out or you just have an arrangement with the merchant how does that work um okay so generally for a user if let's say for example i would visit a restaurant you know mm. I'm, I'm spending like 50 dollars, so i'll earn a certain uh cash rewards so this cash rewards gets um credited in their e-wallet mm -hmm. so um once they accumulate enough they can just cash out as real cash or they can actually um use that e-wallet to spend on anything that they want right okay so let's have a look at the solution if we may um Slide four, there we go. 
give me an example. Where would this work? Yes. So, so um, generally, um, the main target for us would be to create a unified system. So mm-hmm. that is the first thing. So the the in order to be unified, it has to be one single mode, uh, which would be cache. So that is the simplest way. So second thing, of course, um, we want the users to be able to earn and track all their rewards. So that at any point of time, I take out my mobile phone, you know, I would know how much cash I have in my wallet. So that that is the visibility part. And of course, the last would be um, letting them to take control. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, to let them withdraw out as cash. So, you know, you can, you can you know, I can spend at uh, shop A and then I earn this cash and I can withdraw and I can buy something else or I can spend it at shop B. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's flexibility that we're actually giving that users. So what do you do with the tokens once you exchange them for cash how does that work so just so I understand if i'm a restaurant owner yeah. you're a customer yeah. you come to my restaurant you buy a meal yeah. say a hundred dollars and you get two dollars worth of cash. rewards yeah. yeah and normally i would give that to you in tokens or beans or whatever yeah. it is their their sort of currency yeah. you're saying we'll buy that you'll convert that into cash um yeah so indirectly um we have this group of merchants so we have about like um right now we have about 180 merchants mm-hmm. that's on board our our rewards program so all these merchants they're actually offering a a, a percentage of rewards um, cash rewards that is given right. out to users so we basically come in we we kind of provide them that platform so um rather than they themselves giving that users this cash and and tracking that system yeah. it, it, you know we, we basically come in we give them that tools we give them a separate merchant app that tracks every single order and that would actually help them to to uh, kind of um, get these users to actually continue using that and and earn their rewards all right so what you're not doing just so i understand is you're not interfacing with their existing currency or their existing program you, mm. you're giving them a new platform yes. they can okay so yes. that's how okay yeah. and so that platform yeah. is directly redeemable in cash yes right? yes which which a user in their e-wallet they can always redeem and then we'll yeah. just bank transfer you know got it all right we're clear excellent Let's have a look at the pitch deck again. I want to have a look at the proof of this. So just so we can, I'll jump around the pitch deck, but in terms of sort of the the flow, the logical flow of the, the discussion here, I would ask you, where is the proof that your approach works rather than standalone merchant programs? Well, let's have a look at the sales figures here. How are things going? So where we stand, um, obviously, you know, there's still some updates to, to yep. record but where are we now where are you in terms of your sales figures and growth so averagely we are transacting about um 30 to thirty-five thousand gmb per month mm-hmm. so we are maintaining at that figure so we are um, also looking at how we're gonna uh, get more users on board so right now we have about thirty-five thousand um users so the, the idea is um of course they they are already using it i think that the proof of concept would be very important um, for us why this rewards program work um is because every merchants when they come on board you know, we just uh, go to their shop, we place our 10 cards, mm. and um, basically it's a, it's a QR code scanning system that we're using. So the, the next moment, like within a week, users would already transact there. And and I, I think that's not much marketing done. So that concept is actually working because users are automatically relating to that rewards program and because it's in cash and they can cash out, so they want to be part of it. Right. Explain how that works. You go to the, the restaurant. I'm the restaurant owner. Yeah. Um, do you just rock up and take your cards or do you phone through in advance? Because sometimes they both work, those approaches. What's your, your customer acquisition 
Yeah, so so generally, um, of course, the, the process, the process of how that cashback is being earned is actually quite simple. So um, it's only a three step. So you scan a, a merchant's QR code mm. and then it will bring you to a payment page. So you just key in your bill amount. So let's say it's $50, you key in $50 and then you select your mode of payment. So the interesting thing about our platform is that um, because we're looking to scale, so not only in Singapore, mm. um, but in overseas as well. So we even accept cash as a form of payment. So you can even pay cash for your meals. Um, you need not pay by cashless. You need not to top up anything. So you can pay cash and then um, it, you go through a verification code. So there's a four-digit pin that the merchants key in and then you know, you, you basically just earn that cash back. Right. Yeah. So you're actually taking payments for the merchant as well? Uh, yes. Okay, which you can then redeem back to the customers. Yes. So it's it's either if, let's say, a user would pay by credit card or mm. e-wallet, so we would collect the payment on behalf. But mm -hmm. if, let's say, a user is um, paying by cash, so it will go direct to that merchant and then we'll just do our billing settlement with them. Right. So who's driving that? Are there the customers in the sense of the restaurant customers driving that or is it the restaurant owners because you could have people walking into a restaurant and say oh these guys accept free law therefore i want to eat here because i don't have any cash on me right now or is it the restaurant owner saying hey look i want to get this group of people in because they don't carry cash right <laughs> or i want to build loyalty with them Who, who's really driving the model at the um moment? generally i would say um the cashback is the one that is driving that model. So right. not really on that merchant. So merchant for them, they just need to agree to come on board. So for a merchant to actually drive traffic and an acquisition, it's it's kind of um, not possible. Mm. So on, on our end, of course, um, we are the one that is driving it. The, the cashback portion is the one that is driving it. So we, we, we need to do a lot of awareness to, to our users. So when users know that, you know, there's actually something interesting that um, I can actually get cash and real cash, not not gimmicks, not discount of mm. your next purchases, but real cash that you can actually cash out. And 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 generally, users start hopping onto that platform. Right. Yeah. And I know this is case by case, but if we took a restaurant, for example, what kind of rewards would they get cash-wise? Because like you say, these mm. sort of, I don't know if you call them gimmicks, there's a lot of, you know, programs out yeah. there where you get points which are designed such that you can't spend them, yeah. right? hence the yeah. 23%. But yeah. on a $100 order, what are we talking about? 2%, 3%? Um, what kind of returns we get? It can go up to, like, um, generally it's about 5%. Uh -huh. So, like, every $100 you spend, you you, you get back, like, $5. And $5 yeah. could, could, you know, you, you can always use it for, like, two hawker meals. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's practically um, additional savings. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, on the merchant ends, um, they don't lose out anything because this user, once they actually know that you have a rewards program, they will tend to come back to you mm. the second time. And, and this is what we're actually seeing based on and on records. So like a, a user, once they actually go to that place for one time, they tend to like visit that place for the second or third time. Yeah, yeah. particularly where somebody's visiting regularly because yes. those rewards add up, don't they? That's yes. the key, isn't it? Like a one-off, maybe it's not such a big deal, but if you're going to that restaurant or that shop or that whatever it is, that, that service provider on a regular basis and using their services over 52 weeks in a year, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely more up. beneficial for, for users that use it on a frequent basis. But mm -hmm. we also have like users um, with big ticket items. So they, they buy something that is like $1,000. Yeah. yeah, it's like a digital lock. And then they, they practically, you know, they can just instantly cash out like $50, dollars $50, $50. Yeah. yeah. So I've got to ask, you know, you're a web design guy, yeah. if I can be so rude. But, you know, it's like, you know, what do you know about retail or what do you know about loyalty schemes or what do you know about merchants because you know for example if, if you want to go and sell to retail yeah. you've got to go and sell you've got to get out there and you hustle or you know you need relationships you need people you know 
in that space. Yeah. So how do you answer that? So um, I think we have to look back at the general idea why I decided to start out this instead of uh, my web. Why why was there actually a pivot, a, a change in the direction? So um, initially in the past, so me and Jackie, both of us, we were in the web design space. So we practically built like hundreds of websites, e-commerce. Right. So And these are all um, actual businesses, retail businesses. So they, they wanted to evolve in a way that, you know, I want to bring my business now, which is offline. I want to bring them online. So that's one reason why they invest like cost like 7,000, 10,000 just to build an e-commerce website. But a lot of times we do see that, you know, even after we build a website that's fantastic, um, they kind of don't get that sales going because they don't have the marketing people to actually mm. run that thing. They don't have that expertise to do their social marketing. So end of the day, it just becomes a white elephant. So what what initial initiate the idea was that, you know, what if I could build a platform, you know, that all these retailers or merchants that is offline, they can actually come online without any cost. You don't have to build your own website. I practically built a portal mm. and then you, all of you would just come on board and then I even give you that users and I drive that traffic for you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing for them. Yeah. yeah, and not a lot of outlay for them, I imagine, as well. If What, what do I require as a merchant um, to set this up? Generally, you don't pay for anything. It's oh. it's um, There's no subscription fee. There's no listing fee. So the, the only thing you need to pay is that when a user that, you know, it's under free law visits you, you, you just pay a commission. Right. And how have you been getting these merchants on board? Have you just, are you going out knocking doors? Yeah, so um, uh, I have a um, few other co-founders. So they're, they're quite strong in... in um, I wouldn't say knocking doors, but uh, linking up contacts. Yeah. So we do get like uh, merchants that come on board for the first month, and and you know after after that, you know the second month, third month, they start introducing our, us more merchants. Mm. Yeah. And and it's it's kind of been going from there. So mm -hmm. for merchant adoption wise for our platform, um, that is not really an issue because we we are like gaining like twenty merchants a month, which is um quite substantial. So it's it's how we're gonna keep this thing going. Yeah. And where's the traction coming from? Is there a particular type of merchant, particular size, area? that are adopting this faster? Mm, not, um, okay, if let's say I would say majority, like 60% uh, would be F&B. Mm -hmm. So the other like 30% would be like maybe other services like uh, retail, clothing and stuff. And 20% would be more like a spas mm. and massage parlors and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And there's plenty of those in Singapore as well. Yeah. So. And I wonder as well, we're in Singapore, could you employ this in a hawker center if I was selling nasi lemak? Yeah, two dollars yeah. a time. Would it work? Yeah. So, um, okay. The interesting thing is that um, hawker center is actually one of our targeted group as well. Yeah. So, um, we have a couple of uh, hawker stalls that is on our platform as well. So, I think it's it's very beneficial for them because I mean, let's look at the case of a hawker store. You know, even if let's say I have the cash, you know, I I I have ten thousand to do marketing. You know, where will I go to? Right. You know, do I build a website for my hawker store? Do I do I get an agency to run a social media campaign for me? You know, drive. Right. Traffic for my hawker or, or chicken rice, it, does, it doesn't work right, for them. You can spend a thousand on Facebook ads and it's gone, yeah, right? Yeah, it, Nothing. It, yeah, it practically doesn't work for them. But but with our free law platform, they, mm. they come on board. So we list them. Um, they're on our map. So users can actually see. So we run certain campaigns to to drive that traffic. And, and practically users just go and spend. In fact, yeah. frequency-wise for hawker centers, they, they're actually getting more engagement as compared to like restaurants. So the frequency is a lot like one user can go back like three three times a week. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just just eating that, that chicken rice or duck rice. Yeah. And it, it has been good for them, hawker centers. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because hawker centers, and for those who are listening who don't understand what a hawker center is, it's, it's quite unique to Singapore. Yeah. And it's a collection of low end, usually, so cheap yeah. stalls. And it's, they'll be in a group. There'll often be a group, maybe anything from six to sometimes bigger centers with 20. Yeah. And there's more sort of premium centers like Newton, for example. Yeah. But generally, they'll be charging three, four, five, six dollars a meal. Yeah, that's that's their average right. pricing. Yeah, so and it's generally sort of easy food, and you sit in a canteen area, and generally the people who who run them, that's all they do. They don't have websites. They yeah. don't think about social media marketing and so on. However, to say that just because they charge three bucks a meal means they don't make money, these guys are turning over huge volume, and some of them are very, very profitable, yeah. right? Because often they're run by two guys, family business, a husband and wife, yeah. you know, father and son, all those kind of arrangements. So, you know, often they're not thinking about marketing, are they? However, it doesn't mean that marketing isn't a problem for them, right? Because they still need to get customers, and they still have competition. Yeah. So this is the challenge, the fact that you're actually going after this group as well. I wonder how that would spread as well. I mean, if you've got one hawker stall on board, you know, the word's going to spread around, isn't it? Like the guy next to him and the guy next to that guy and so on. Yeah, so so more or less, um, I mean, if let's say we talk about hawker stalls, like you say, first, yeah, it's it's unique in Singapore. So, um, But of course, there's, there's still a challenge, I, I would definitely have to say. So it depends on that age of the hawker as well. So it's, if, if it's a, like a 50 plus years old uncle, mm. you know, you you start talking to him about you know apps and and cashless payment and he he you know no I I'm just selling something that's like two fifty you yeah, know I right. rather accept cash you know but but if let's say nowadays we're seeing that there's a lot of new age hawkers so um and a lot of them they they are very receptive to this and they they are the young people that actually wants to do that marketing and and make a difference in the hawker store mm. yeah that's awesome I like the idea as well so we've been talking about. You know, uh, re rewards programs for hawker centers and hawker stores. It's great. It's good to see it. So, you know, okay, um, we looked a little bit about your background. We'll talk about your funding mm. in a minute as well. And um, I think it's worth noting is that your you the key part of your growth as well is not it is two sided model. You have the you know the rewards obviously for the the restaurant customers not just restaurants as well but customers of all different you know like the spas and so on and they get the cash back and they can also pay with it as well and then you have also the owners once you start talking about payment models it starts to get interesting yes. in asia right yeah. and and what's interesting about asia for those who have been watching china maybe they're aware of what's going on but you can go somewhere like china and see a guy selling watermelon on the street accepting wechat, wechat pay yeah. or yeah. alipay for yeah. example so the fact is, is that even, you know, the most technologically unadvanced stalls can take mobile payments as well. Do you, do you see payments as a key part of your growth here? Um, it's it's crucial because um, no matter what, we're still dealing with that point of sale transaction. So the, the thing is that, you know, rather than um, competing in that market, because right now, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting in Singapore. I mean, there's there's a lot of cashless payment. There's mm. there's it's it's useful. The banks they are, they're coming into a picture to to run their cashless payments. So for for us, the direction would be, um, we would want to partner and work with them rather than then you know, trying to fight the market with our yeah. own cashless and and get people. You know, you might get a certain market share, but it won't be a lot. So it's it's always better to to you know adopt and work with um, some banks on that on that area. Yeah. Okay, good. Good answer. 
And we, before we talk about funding, we've got this far and you haven't mentioned the word blockchain. So, <laughs> and I, you know, that can be taken in two different ways, you know, because especially with what you're doing, I'm sure somebody is doing something similar, but you know, on the blockchain. So yeah, in, what, <laughs> tell me, tell me, what, what's the reasoning here? Okay, in, in fact, um, I think we've been approached a couple of times um, by blockchain companies, consultancies. So um, based on our business model, in fact, if we were to move into blockchain, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. And, and a lot of them has actually proposed. But um, we're still looking at, I mean, no matter what, it's still like a two sides of it. So yeah. there's the negative side that, you know, the group of people that is just coming out with nonsensical things. And there's this group of people that really wants to use it to improve the technology level. So it, it, it kind of depends that um, what is the idea of this blockchain. I mean, if it's for technology-wise, mm. like for us, we deal with um, cross-country payments, um, if let's say we rescale. So um, it can be a technology that we can use, but um, generally we are not looking at that blockchain area or ICO to actually fund that platform. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think the the answer is you know f goes back to you know what your purpose is right yeah and so if somebody said to us like you know why didn't you put this show on the blockchain just as an example <laughs> yeah, I'd say okay look I'd look at it but you know our goal is to create good content and great entertainment right yeah. and to help people get their word out there and give startups a voice yes. if blockchain helps us do that great yeah but we're not doing it for the sake of blockchain yes so for yourself when you, you think about free law what is that mission what is the why what, why is it here you know regardless of whether you use blockchain or not what is it you're trying to do um, of course, um, like I say, um, the first first most important thing I think would be basically the users that will be our first target. And um, for blockchain-wise, um, if let's say, for example, we want to move on to that area, then then it would definitely have to be a consideration as well. Yeah. Okay, good. Funding. Let's talk about that. So where are we now? If we jump into your pitch deck now. Okay, if we jump forward, here we go. The, the financials. So we had the financials as also, or we have your overseas expansion. I've overshot here. Your funding slide, 21. There we go. That's where we are, financials. So how old is the business now? You started, what, nearly two years ago? Um, yeah, we, we, we kind of, we registered that business in 2016. Yeah. That was like close to the end December. So um, we took like... Um, close to a year yeah. for, for, for full development, but we launched in stages. So we, we started uh, with the web platform first then eventually we, we officially launched that app, um, which is beginning of this year. So that's like um, seven, eight months now. Right. So two years as an entity, but seven or eight months in the public eye. Yes. Okay. And funding up until now, how did that happen? Did you, when you launched, did you self-fund it? Did you do a friends and family round? Um, so... Um, Okay, fun, funding, I think funding is an important question for all startups. Is um, what, what we wanted to do is initially was to bootstrap. Mm -hmm. So we bootstrap to an extent that um, uh, we kind of need certain um, funding in. So we, we, we basically self-funded our platform. So I think we took out quite quite an amount of money. So we kept it going So until we can gain that traction. Because I think if you were to ask me fundraising in Singapore, I, I would say it's tough. Mm. Yeah, as, as compared to maybe other countries. So um, investors generally, if let's say you want to go look for VCs, um, 
you kind of have to be prepared and make sure that you have that traction before you even visit them. If not, uh, you kind of be wasting your chances. Mm. So, so we wanted to build a, a, a certain traction first before we even open ourselves up for for additional like VC fundings. Right. It's also a, a a personal thing as well, isn't it? I mean, you may not want to get funding as a startup founder, not you individually, but any startup founder. They may decide that bootstrapping is the way to go. They may decide that they don't want to bring in early stage investors. It's just a pure choice as well. And also, at what point do you want to bring them in? That's up to you. You saying that you want to get more leverage with those investors, you have a better position and so on. When you have the merchants on board, when you have revenues on yep. the door, you know, some people would want to do it from day zero. Some people might be much happier doing it two years into the, the journey. It's a personal thing as well. There's never one particular answer. Yeah. So with yourselves, if we go back to that slide, if we may, uh, what, what does it say here? Um, just help me understand this. It says $1 million financing at 20% pre-series A. Has that happened? Uh, yeah, it's what we're raising right now. Oh, you, so you're going through the raise at yes. the moment, pre-series A, yep. a million at 20%. Um, who are you approaching without sort of specifics? Are you going to uh, strategic partners? So, for example, in people in the retail space, is it angels? Is it you know early stage VCs? Um, I think it's still VCs. Yeah, yeah. So we have uh, we did talk to a few like uh, corporations. So we're still in discussion, but generally, um, I think I think it, it depends on on the reason why we're fundraising. So, um, for our one million pre series, um, this funding is actually generally for six scaling. Mm. So Singapore wise, uh, more or less, we're we're stable in that area that the traction is moving. So, um, the the main thing is that if let's say we are at our stage right now and then we want to scale up to other countries. So specifically, um, we're actually looking at Thailand and right. Taiwan. We've got some. Yeah. data here well let's flash that slide up overseas expansion so you basically you're saying that singapore you've proven the model here for your in, in your minds you've reached sort of you know a level where you're happy now you want to take that to different markets i think i think for for the market wise it, it depends on which market you're in so southeast asia i would say it's it's fragmented mm. so different countries have a different way of um, doing things so for singapore wise um, we are actually looking at more on partnerships and collaboration. So we're tying in with um, a few companies to actually um, run our platform. So mm -hmm. specifically, um, we're also under MediaCorp. So they, they have their own uh, platform that we can actually tap on. Yeah. So Singapore-wise, we're looking at more on partnerships. So to, to actually grow that traction. So for, for overseas-wise, it's a fresh market. So you go in, you have no contacts. So you definitely need to burn a certain amount of cash to, to actually get that user reach. Yeah. Yeah. When you go into a new market like that, where do you start? What's the first thing you do? Is it hiring a local biz dev manager or is it finding an investor? What would you... Um, investor would have to come first. Yeah. So you would need to have that sufficient fund before you move into that right. market. Would they have to be local? So for example, you've got Vietnam as an example yeah. here, which is a fast moving, fast growing market. If you were to expand into Vietnam, how does how would that actually happen? So of course, um, for for us, we would prefer like you know we raise that money over here first, yeah, and then we dedicate the budget out to expand in that country. Yeah. So unless, for example, if let's say there's already certain contacts in that country and they already have um, uh, something that is ongoing, like you know, it can it can always come in as a joint joint venture. Mm. Yeah. And how are you going to manage that process? Because the danger, and it is a danger, and I've done this before, and I've made some big mistakes expanding into new markets. I've learned my lessons. Is not so much the money, but the the mindset, the distraction that a new market can take. You know, so you've you're building Singapore here, which is your you know the mothership, so to speak, and you've got good backing, you've got people like Media Corp, you know, on your side. You know, how do you then sort of if you go to 
Vietnam, if that becomes your core focus, how do you then sort of manage a business like that where, you know, that could be always firefighting a new market. You know, you've hired somebody, you've lost them, you set up an office, there's licensing issues, all these kind of things happen. And, you know, when you're sort of remote, it becomes tough. Have you thought this through in terms of how you personally will do this, Jimmy? Yeah, so so we kind of look back at um, every time when we, we plan for a new market, so we would always look back at how we actually started. So when we started, um, it's like a fresh market in Singapore. Even mm. though we're Singapore, I mean, we have certain contacts, but it's it's a fresh market. So um, we basically look back at the things that we've done. What did we do in our step one, step two, step three, step four, eventually right. that led us up here. So it's, it's how we're going to just duplicate that same thing. So... Um, it might be tough, but there's a lot of channels. I think Singapore government provides a lot of help in, mm. in terms of um, expansion overseas as well. So that is one area that um, you can always get contacts from them. So there's associations there. And, and um, specifically for for Thailand and Taiwan market, uh, we kind of try to look at um, investors that would already have certain contacts. Right. So they need not be present there, but at least refer one or two contacts that we can actually get the ball rolling. Yeah. yeah. Where would they come from? So investors watch this show. Um, they may not be at this current round with you, but they, as a startup founder, you're always going to be raising, yeah. right? Yeah. So they may be a future round. You're, you're basically saying, look, you know, you want smart money, as any founder should say, right? You know, you want people who open doors. What kind of background are they going to come from? Are they a retail uh, brand or what? You know, what kind of thing are you looking for? Mm, I think for for us, um, it, it's it's quite open. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no like restriction that, you know, I just want this specific VC in this spe uh, specific space. So it, it can be a private equity as well. It can be a, a big corporation, a company that is in that retail industry. And like, uh, I think recently we just applied for a, a incubator mm -hmm. that is in Thailand. So, Which one did you apply for? Um, it's uh, Tipco. Okay. Yeah. So, so we we basically applied. We sent in our application. So, I think if let's say we we do get in, or, or you know, it, it definitely open open certain doors. I mean, even though it's an incubator, there's not much right. cash involvement, but then that that value of that network is 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 quite hard to get. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're going to get some good door openers if you go yes. through the incubator program yeah. as well, right? Okay. Great. We'll flash back and look at the, the team again, because the, the last question I want to ask you, and this is kind of quite relevant to the fact that you're now fundraising and expanding globally, is who you are looking for in your company in Freelaw to help grow this. So how many people are you now? Um, we have um, basically just the four founders. Right. So yeah. you're the four founders you're raising at the moment. There must be people who are listening, watching this, who may be, you know, uh, they're entrepreneurs or they're people with particular hard skills that might be useful for your team. Give us an idea of the kind of people you're looking for. So, um, yeah, the, the first one, of course, is a business development guy. So right, a that, hustler. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Right? So he's, he's going to be that guy that opened up the doors and it can be from local, but he needs to have that that, um, that skills. And, and, of course, I would say character is the most important for yeah. business development. It's not really about how much soft skills you have or how much like you know about that system, but it's more or less who you can connect with. So that would definitely be our first. In Singapore or in any of those markets? Um, in fact, in every market. So right. there's, the, there's, a, there's a team structure that we did come up with. So it's like a, a business development guy. Uh, so he will be the main person and then there will be a, a sales executive. So mm. he, he is the mar uh, merchant acquisition guy. And then um, just, just one more guy to basically um, 
entry information like IT support. Right. So yeah, Tree, Tree will make a good team already. Do they have to have some kind of retail experience or um, not? Not really. Yeah. So I could be selling anything. Yeah. So I I think in the past previously we did um hire, um for for a while. So I think um some of them they came in with no skills at all. Yeah. But I think that's the exciting part. You know, everyone comes in. You know, they get to learn something, and then that teams, you know, built from scratch. You know, it kind of kind of gives them a a belonging in a way. Yeah. 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 Great. Excellent. Jimmy Co. Everybody. Co-founder of Free Law. And uh, Jimmy, before we go, I want to ask, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? Do you have a preferred channel that uh, people can contact you on? LinkedIn? It, yeah, email? they can always find me on LinkedIn. All right. Yeah. All the details will go yes. in the show notes. And all the best with your race. Thank you. All the best with your expansion. Let's do, a, let's do a before and after. So, you know, we'll talk to you now and then maybe in two or three months, you yeah. know, with success, maybe with some first sort of feedback from your, your entry into new markets. We'd love to get an update, yeah. see how things are going. Yeah, sure. Jimmy Coe, thank okay. you very much. Thanks, Graham. Thank you.